This podcast is brought to you by the College of Nursing at Brigham Young University. For more information about its programs, faculty, students, or alumni events, please visit nursing.byu.edu. Many people rely on energy drinks just to function in their hectic daily lives. However, are energy drinks really the safest option? Today we'll discuss with an expert some of the risks associated with the consumption of these drinks and how you can safely consume them. Hey everyone, I'm Eliza Joy. And I'm Ryan Larson. Together we will explore nursing careers and professional insights. With exclusive interviews for nurses working in jobs that you want to know about. Transferring info from one nurse to another. This is the College Handoff. Today's guest is a BYU College of Nursing alumna, Dr. Mikan Higby. She is currently a professor and researcher at Utah Valley University. Through her study of caffeine, Dr. Higby has found a correlation between adverse symptoms, such as increased anxiety and poor sleep patterns, with the consumption of energy drinks. She'll also tell us about the unique culture and learning opportunities provided at UVU, including a master's program in nursing education. Let's get started. Well, today on the podcast, we have Dr. Mike and Higby. She is a professor at UVU and also happens to be a nursing alumni from the BYU College of Nursing. Dr. Higby, welcome to our podcast. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. I'm happy to be here. I'm so glad that you are here. How would you like me to address you, Dr. Higby? Or... Just call me Mike and Mike and, all that right. That would be then. great. Perfect. Well, Mike and thank you so much for being here. We're super excited to have you. You're quite the talented person, even just looking over your LinkedIn. Uh, from a couple minutes ago, I think we're going to learn a lot of really amazing things about you. Um, you've done a lot of research about how caffeine and energy type drinks has affected medical professionals in a variety of different ways. But before we get into those um, really important questions that are super important today, maybe we can ask you about your background a little bit. What started you in, in potentially considering a career in the nursing field? What was the thing that that maybe got the juices flowing there and made you want to start doing thinking about that. So when I started at BYU, I was pretty sure I wanted to do broadcast journalism. Oh, this then, is like your native home then, uh-huh. right? <laughs> yeah. And then I thought, gosh, it would be hard to be a mom and put your kids, to, like not be able to put your kids to bed till like 11 o'clock at night. Mm. So then I switched to English. I thought, oh, I'll teach English. That didn't sit right. So then I took one of those tests at the library, those aptitude tests, and it said speech language pathology. So I... Signed up, bought the books, went to all the classes. Turns out the building is behind the law school, clear, like a f- way across campus. And I was like, this is not going to work for me. <laughs> I, I didn't, I didn't feel right. And I remember walking home from school that day. I called my dad and I said, dad, I think I used up my whole father's blessing and I need a new one. And he said, no, no, no. Just what classes do you want to take? What do you want to learn? And I said, I want to take anatomy. I want to do physiology. I want, and this is so silly, but my roommate was a nursing major. She always knew she wanted to do nursing and I didn't want to copy her, Mm. which is silly. And so after that, he said, just go sign up right now. So I dropped all my classes that day, signed up for all new classes. I started in nursing and I have never looked back. Wow. So it was your roommate then that maybe helped Mm -hmm. plant the seed to get that going. Yep. That's great then. What, I guess you mentioned that you were considering or you were starting out in broadcast journalism. Have you seen any parallels there between broadcast journalism and, and nursing or why did that translate for you? You know what? It's funny you asked me that because I haven't really thought about it until you just said that to me. <laughs> but there are a lot of things, especially now as an instructor, but even as a 
as a nurse, you're constantly teaching, constantly mm-hmm. educating, constantly transmitting information. And I think that's what broadcast journalism does as well. You're discovering, learning, whether it's about health, whether about the world, but you're transmitting that information to people. And I think that there's a parallel there. Wow. Yeah, I think they're right. I think there's lots of things that um, there's lots of soft skills that are super important for nurses that can come from other dimensions and other and other fields of work. That's a good point. Um, what about your time here at BYU? Uh, what was it like as you were, you know, assuming you got into the nursing program, obviously, and then what what was the nursing program like for you as an undergrad student? Well, I was an alternate when I first got in. I was oh. a, I was the first. I didn't know which alternate I was, but there was one person who dropped out to get married, and I got their spot. So I lucked out. There's always hope. <laughs> there was always hope. It was very um, competitive, and but I was so excited. My experience, I was a very unconfident nursing student. I passed out three times as really? a nursing student. I tell my students this all the time. And I remember one time being on the floor, the fourth floor at Utah Valley, and it was 5, 5.30 in the morning, mm. and um, an IV had fallen out of a patient. Ooh. And so of course there's blood right. and I, it was just so early in the morning. I turned around, I could tell I was going to, I turned around to go. I went down, hit the floor, hit the doorknob on my way down. And I woke up with my nursing instructor in my face. And he said to me, Mike, what did you eat for breakfast? And I said, <laughs> kicks. He said, eat something more substantial next time. So my experience in the nursing program was I was a very, um, nervous student and, uh, just worried. And I remember thinking that I just wanted to work same day surgery where people were healthy, but just needed something fixed. Turns out my capstone, um, was in the ER. And I think heavenly Uh. father had a plan for me because that gave me a lot of confidence. I was putting in lots of IVs. I saw a lot of scary things, a lot of hard things, and it changed my whole perspective. And, uh, it really helped me to gain confidence and to see that this was going to be a great career for me and um, that I could do hard things. Wow. What a great, what a great experience that you had and, and props to you for sticking through. I feel like that, I don't know, at least for me, I feel like if I were to pass out in a clinical setting, I'd be like, yep, that's it. We're done. <laughs> Back to broadcast <laughs> it journalism. It was so embarrassing. Yes. But yeah. it happened three times. Oh my gosh. So how did, how did you get over that? I'm assuming that's not necessarily an issue anymore then. And that's a no. common issue for many people, especially mm-hmm. in clinical settings and myself mm-hmm. included, it, it kind of woozy in there. So what have you done to kind of get over that. So I learned, I learned what things, and a lot of times it was getting too hot, which Mm. sounds silly. But when I worked in the ER in Dallas, then there were several times where either I was pregnant, (laughs) it seemed like, but the lights are so intense in, um, in the ER, we'd be sewing people up or irrigating, or I'd be holding something or, and it would get hot and I could tell I can, you're going to pass out. And I knew I had this feeling so that I could go and excuse myself and say, you know, I need to go sit down for a second or whatever. And after a while, I'd say after probably four or five years, it didn't happen anymore. So I got used to it. It got better, but I did have to learn. I had to kind of figure that out. Yeah. Well, it's great. I'm glad that you did. And obviously you didn't, you know, just do your undergrad after that, at least according to your LinkedIn profile, you went to the university, uh, Utah Valley university where you got your master's in nursing over there. Is that right? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, after about 17 years of practice, um, I decided to go back and get my master's degree. I always thought I would be a nurse practitioner. And to be honest with you, when I lived in Dallas, I got the paperwork several times to um, go to nurse practitioner school. There was different programs down there. It just didn't feel right. It wasn't the right time. I was either pregnant or nursing. I have six kids and it just wasn't the right time for me. And um, when we moved back to Utah, um, I was working in the ICU at American Fork Hospital and 
I had a friend who suggested, hey, you should think about teaching. And my mom's actually a teacher. And she said to me, Mike, and there's nothing better than the academic calendar. (laughs) (laughs) And so she says, you have a lot of kids. You're going to want to be able to visit them. And I hadn't really, I had never considered teaching. Um, I love bedside nursing. Um, I, I spent 24 years at the bedside in critical care and med surge in the ER and things like that. And so I just had never really considered it until it had been suggest, suggested to me by a friend. Yeah. And I think, I mean, that's, you bring up an interesting point there that there's a, just a different schedule that comes when you know, working in a clinical setting versus working in a school. So when you were deciding though, where to go back to go get your master's, was it, I mean, obviously there's maybe there's some pressure to go back to BYU. I don't know. Like how did you end up deciding to go to UVU? So I decided to get a master's in nursing education. Mm. BYU doesn't offer that program. I see. Um, UVU does. And so that is why, and I'll be honest with you, when I first decided, then I thought, oh, UVU, it's not going to be as good as BYU because I had a fantastic experience at BYU um, with my undergraduate program. But I will say that I had an excellent education at UVU and my, my time there uh, really prepared me well for my future practice. And gave me a great background. I was surprised. I was in a cohort of 11 and it worked out perfectly. It's a funny thing. I was the young women's president at the time. And my husband said, the only way this is going to work is if they have classes on Wednesdays. And my baby was two. And um, sure enough, they had classes on Wednesdays. So he would come home at noon on Wednesdays. That's his day. He's, he doesn't see patients on Wednesdays. So that was his one day. So he would come home at noon and I would leave and go to class and go to class from 12 to seven. And then I would go to mutual from seven to eight thirty or nine. Wow! So it worked on Wednesdays for two years. And I thought great. I had a busy, <laughs> a busy day every once in a while. That's impressive. So let me make sure I'm understanding you. I'm understanding you correctly. Then you had a two year old at the time that uh-huh. you were taking care of most of the day, uh-huh. and then you'd go to school for seven hours, and then go as just, young, on Wednesdays. just on Wednesdays. Just on Wednesdays. Just on Wednesdays. Yeah. Still like a, that's still really. She's my sixth. Yeah. So I had six kids, and so it worked out great. My oldest was an eighth grader. But it worked out. I did my homework usually during um, her nap times on Tuesdays and Thursdays and during preschool when my other kids, my other kids were at school and at preschool. And then I usually would put everyone in bed at 10 o'clock. We'd have family prayer, scriptures, give everyone kisses. I'd put everyone in bed at 10 and I'd usually stay up till about midnight a couple days a week. And that's when I'd get my work done. So it worked out. It honestly worked out great. That's impressive. I'm sure there's lots of students that might be listening and maybe they're considering going to um, to some type of grad program out there. Would you recommend doing what you did potentially? I mean, that sounds like a lot you put on your plate. What was work-life balance like there? Would you recommend doing that to another student, maybe a little bit younger than yourself? You know, what was interesting is as my husband and I were talking about it, I always had an exit strategy, mm. which kind of sounds funny, but I, I was really nervous, but I, I was confident. I thought I can do this. I really wanted to. My husband wasn't so sure at first, um, but I said, let's, let's try it. Let's try it for one semester. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work for our family. My family was my number one priority, number one. And if I saw anything slip or anything that didn't feel right, then I was ready to jump out. But honestly, it worked really well. Despite my busy calling and um, my kids, my husband was a great support and it worked out just fine. Wow. What was the threshold? You, you say that you... If anything slipped, then you would prepare to back out, right? Like what was the threshold of slipping? I think it was my kids, really. Yeah. Um, I do remember there would be, there was a couple of times my husband, my husband said to me, I don't know if this was such a good idea. <laughs> and But I think that that's, 
true in anything that you do as a mom. There's sometimes you're like, what was I thinking? There's times when you are, you know, just as a daughter, like really in any role as the young woman's president, as a teacher, anything that you do, they're like, oh man, this is hard. And so I think that the, the line to be drawn was my kids. And if things were falling through the cracks there, schoolwork wasn't getting done. If they, if I felt like I couldn't be emotionally supportive to them, bedtime, my, for some reason, mealtime is really important to me. That is something that I read. <laughs> I read a study years ago that said, if you can have dinner with your family five days a week, four or five days a week, when your husband comes home and can eat with the family, that will help him and you stay connected as a couple and it will make things go smoother in your family. Wow. I read that years ago. And so he has kind of a crazy schedule as a chiropractor and sometimes comes home late, but that was really important. And I thought if I can't do that as a mom and a wife, that was kind of my line and it worked. I still could do it. And I still got good sleep. Things like the balls were staying as I was juggling, they were staying in the air and it, it wasn't too crazy. So then after you were at UVU, you went and you got a PhD in nursing science at the University of Texas at Tyler. Um, mm -hmm. Tell me a little bit about that. What was that? What did you do over there? What did you study? Oh, I love that you asked me this question. So uh, right after I finished my master's, my, I, I loved it. I loved my research went well. I would learned so much. I thrived in the program. My husband said, you should go get your PhD. And I was like, no, this is I, all I need is a master's. I don't need anything else. And he said, no, no, no. You should, you did so, you should do this. Then when you decide to teach, whatever you decide to do, then they can't tell you, oh, no, you just have a master's. <laughs> if you have a PhD, then no, they can't say no to you. So how about you just keep going, keep going. And I said, I'm not ready yet. So I took a year and waited. And then um, I applied and actually he found this program um, down in, in Texas. And I lived in wow. Dallas for 10 years. And mm -hmm. so it was really, it was really close and they had a really good program. And it was an, it's an online program, but you go to the campus once a semester. Mm. And, um, I applied and got in and the day, the day that I was flying down to start my PhD program, they put my husband in as the Bishop. Oh, wow. And I cried the whole oh, way down. That's so hard. <laughs> the whole flight. And he everything. was, I'm assuming he was still living here in Utah at the uh -huh. time. Oh, and I only so went hard. for a week, but at the same time that day, like it, I had planned to do this. We didn't know he was going to get called to be the bishop, right. but it was the same day. And I flew down to Dallas and started my PhD. And I thought, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? This can't be right. And then, but I just kept feeling, just move forward. I prayed and prayed. Should I do this? Should I not? And I just kept having this feeling. It wasn't, yes, you should do this. It was just move forward. Trust me, just move forward. And so I did. And it worked out great. Wow. That's great. So what types of opportunities were opened up to you as a PhD, other than, as you put it, I was able to do whatever I wanted <laughs> <laughs> that you were able to do as a PhD that you wouldn't have been able to do as a master's. So with my master's degree, I learned the basics of nursing research. And I will tell you this, when I was a student at BYU doing my undergrad, getting my BSN, I remember looking at my professors who had a PhD and thinking, I have no desire to do that. That is not something that's interesting to me. I only was interested in clinical work. And yet, as I've progressed and have had so much background in clinical work, I enjoyed it so much, but I was ready for a change. That's something that's amazing about the nursing profession. If you get tired of something, if you need, you know, you want to switch directions, there are so many different paths you can take. And that's what happened to me. So I decided that I wanted to try something new. And um, I decided to get my PhD so that I could teach. But the research part has actually become so fun for me. And uh, really enlightening. And I've enjoyed the process much more than I thought I would. So 
I jumped in. We, I, I started, it's kind of interesting when I was at UVU, I was trying to decide what should I, you have to do a project. And I was trying to decide what should I do? And I taught a class for Gary Meesom, who he actually used to teach at BYU. And the professor, when I fainted and his face was in my face, that was Gary Meesom. <laughs> he was the one who said, Mike, and well, he now teaches at UVU too. So I teach with him, but he was, um, I was teaching a class for him and as a master's student. And I noticed it was an eight o'clock class in the morning. There were 20 students in the class. And in that class of 20, there were five students who had an energy drink on their desk. Mm. And I thought, huh, that's kind of interesting. And so I decided to do my research. And that's what started this is I just thought, huh, that's interesting. And then when I would go to work, then several of the nurses that I worked with, you know, there'd be a monster over there or a rock star. My very first, I was working a night shift in Dallas and a travel nurse, with, I was giving a report to him oh, and yeah. he popped open a Red Bull. And I said, what is that? And this you was years ago. Before. Well, this was years ago. Oh, okay, this okay. was years ago uh, when I was living in Dallas. And uh, he popped it open. He said, yeah, I drink one of these at one and one at four. This is what's going to keep me awake. He's like, you want to try some? I said, sure. So he poured <laughs> some in a little medicine cup for me and I tied and Red Bull's nasty. But, um, but that was my first exposure. And so I was always kind of intrigued by it. Mm-hmm. But especially with the word of wisdom. Yeah. Um, and being a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, then that's something that I was interested in as well. And I'll be honest with you, when I started my research about caffeine, I was very, uh, I don't know if the right word is anti, but I was raised in a family where we did never, we never drink mm. caffeinated sodas. And that was terrible for you. And you just don't do that. And so my impression of caffeine and energy drinks and all those things was, I'm going to find that this is terrible and horrible and you should never do this. And that's what I just assumed. And as I started the research process and as I was learning, I came to realize the energy drinks, caffeine in general, it is a drug. And guess what? There is a time and a purpose for that. Um, I personally don't believe that you should wake up in the morning and crack a energy drink and be drinking that. But if you have to drive somewhere for 12 hours and you've got kids in the backseat, then maybe that's a good time. If you have to, if you've worked hard and you've studied and you need extra help with studying for a test, you know, maybe that's a good time. I just don't think that it should be every day or all day long. I don't, I don't agree with that. But every once in a while, just like every once in a while when I get a headache, then I take aspirin or Advil or, you know, something like that. Right. But, yeah. So my, my, my belief system has changed a little bit. Yeah. Well, what a healthy relationship that you have with both gospel principles and principles of, of research that you got from your PhD. I think that's really, um, really helpful to, uh, help you see things in a, in a more clear light, potentially. The Nursing Empowering Women Club at BYU is designed to help nurses better understand the unique challenges that women face around the globe. Being educated about these struggles can assist nurses in providing the best possible care to their patients. The club works with organizations such as Days for Girls to make contributions to global women's health improvements. To learn more about the club and their service projects, reach out to them on Instagram at Nurses Empowering Women. Now, because, I mean, obviously it sounds like you just started researching this because you saw it around you more and more frequently. Um, and a lot of those people that you were mentioning, they were people who were working in clinical healthcare settings. What type of information did you find out about nurses and other healthcare providers that are using these? Are they generally beneficial to patient outcomes or what types of things are you, are you looking for when you do these studies? 
So I think one of the things that kind of propelled me in this uh, area as well is that there are some industries that have banned energy drinks, such as down in the Gulf, the oil rigs. There are several companies who have banned them. Also, some truck companies, trucking companies, where they don't allow their drivers that while at work, they're not allowed to drink energy drinks. And it is for safety reasons. And so I think, well, healthcare. That is a huge yeah. area where there's safety concerns. So that was one of the areas that I wanted to look at to see if there were any issues. And quite honestly, when I started my study, there are, were no studies related to energy drinks and nurses. Mm. So my first study with my dissertation uh, was mostly just to find out, is there a problem? Is there a correlation? I'll be honest, my committee members, uh, <laughs> when I started this, then they were like, who cares? Like my husband, in fact, my, the chair of my committee, she said, my husband drinks probably 10 cups of coffee and he eats two Snickers every day. So what's the big deal? And I said, really, there's a difference. There's a difference between coffee and people who drink coffee. There's a difference between that and energy drinks. And she didn't believe it until we did the study. And we found out that about 25% of the nurses that I, in my population, which was, I did my study in Dallas, mm-hmm. um, tw- about 25% reported consuming energy drinks. I actually think it's more than that, but yeah. just that was my sample. And, um, but of those, the 25%, they report fewer sleep hours and poor sleep quality and increased levels of perceived stress compared hmm. to caffeine only consumers, whether it's coffee or soda or non-caffeine consumers. So I think that's really interesting. Where nursing, we work long hours. There's a lot on your plate mm-hmm. with busy patients coming in and out, um, shift work, charting is its own element, I think in a lot of ways and stress and sleep play a big factor. And if you are consuming something that can potentially decrease your ability to think clearly, that can be a problem. Interesting. So I didn't make a connection. Honestly, it was a, it's a preliminary study. Right. I just wanted to find out what, what do we know? Mm-hmm. Um, I actually repeated the study with nursing students and that study is getting published in January and had similar outcomes. 23% of the students, and we, we studied students at UVU and also in Texas mm-hmm. and had similar outcomes that way. Um, the next study, I'm, I'm getting ready to start a qualitative study in the spring and we're going to have focus groups where we actually interview people who consume energy drinks, mostly nursing students who consume energy drinks and find out, do you drink energy drinks because you're tired, because you feel stressed or do you feel tired and stressed and then drink energy? Like what, what's, is it the chicken or the egg? That's one thing we can't figure out. I don't know. My studies were not causative. Like I didn't determine cause with those, but. Well, I mean, well, it's true that correlation doesn't necessarily mean causation. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it gets you started on maybe drawing some lines between dots that can maybe make some connections. So that's exciting and and cool things there. And you mentioned that you're doing the same study with students. Um, Did you, do you have anything that suggests that maybe this, you know, I guess we should define consumption first, right? Because as you mentioned, like have, there's a time and place for everything, right? But if you have potentially students, I'm assuming, who are using this all the time, Mm -hmm. does that also affect sleeping patterns and potential, uh, you know, performance in classrooms and things like that? Well, just to be honest with you, probably a month ago, uh, I was at a clinical setting and I had, I was, I brought students and I said, okay, everybody pull out your your blood pressure cuffs. I want you to do two blood pressures on each other before we start working on the patrons who are coming in. Mm -hmm. And it was cold. So all of our equipment was cold and stuff like that. So one of the students, I said, here, you can do mine. So I pull out my arm from my jacket. He gets out his blood pressure cuff and he is shaking. And I said, are you okay? And this is a six, four, this is a big kid, big guy. Mm-hmm. 
And um, I said, are you okay? He's like, I'm fine. I'm like, well, you're shaking. Put, put, put the cuff on me. What's wrong? And he's like, oh, I just drank a bang. I'm like, it's, it's like eight <laughs> o'clock in the morning. He says, I drink three of these oh a day. And I said, how on earth, if you are having a hard time putting this cuff on me, how are you going to start an IV, my friend? That's when it really matters. And he's like, it's not usually this bad. I said, okay, I believe you. But I think that as students, they're young. And a lot of times they think, you know what? I just need this to help me get through. I need it to help me wake up. As members of the church, we think at least it's not coffee. At least it's not something else. But I purposely chose my initial study to do it in Dallas, thinking that, oh, I don't want to do it in Utah. It might skew my results. Yes. And instead, I actually think I'd actually need to do it here in Utah because I think it would be very eye-opening. I do think that there's probably more people who consume energy drinks in Utah than maybe other places Mm. uh, just because we don't drink coffee here. Uh, It's a different dynamic. Right. Um, But again, I'm not condemning it. I don't, some of my best friends drink them. I, it's not, it's not anything like that. I just think that we have to be mindful. I will say I, I did a study at, um, they're, they're actually replicating my study in 14 hospitals in North Dallas. And it's so interesting because as they were, one of the questions is which drinks do you consume? And several of the answers that were concerning was Gatorade, Powerade. So some people think that Powerade, Gatorade, Crystallite, some Crystallite has um, caffeine in it, but most of them don't. So some of them were thinking that, oh, that's an energy drink. Turns out they're not. They have sugar in them, but they're not energy drinks. So that's, that's something else too, is maybe there's just a lack of information. Maybe people think, well, the, I like the taste of this one versus this one. Well, it turns out this one has 300 milligrams of caffeine and this one doesn't. So you would think nurses know those kinds of things, but that's not always the case. I mean, yeah. this was a study at Medical City Dallas right. in downtown Dallas. And there were people saying that, you know, yes, I consume energy drinks. And then when they listed them, then those were the ones that they listed. And they're like, actually, those aren't, those aren't energy drinks. Interesting. Huh. I guess we're all guilty of not reading the label. On the back <laughs> it's hard to know. Yeah. And, and, and quite honestly, most energy drinks do not have everything listed on the label. Mm-hmm. Some of them now will list the caffeine content. Monster lists the caffeine content, but not all of them. And also there's actually extra forms of caffeine in mm-hmm. energy drinks that are not listed. So like Guarana or yerba mate, those are natural forms of caffeine. Depending on the way they're processed, one milligram of each of those can be up to four times the potency of regular caffeine. Wow. That is not a synthetic caffeine, that's a natural caffeine, and that's not listed on, on the context. So natural. when it says 300 milligrams, it's 300 plus whatever that is. Interesting, wow. So I guess that begs the question then, like, where do we go from here? I guess we don't, we haven't really, it sounds like you're still gathering data and other studies are being replicated to potentially um, determine more causality and some, you know, broader scale impact and things like that. But, you know, assuming that our assumptions that you're laying out here and which make perfect sense are correct, that there is some negative harms that come from this type of consumption, what should like nursing students nowadays that are maybe listening to this podcast, what should they do with this type of information? What type of things should they do to maybe monitor themselves or coworkers and and things like that? I think the biggest thing is to be aware, to recognize that maybe if you're struggling, if there's a time in our place that you maybe need to drink something like that in order to stay safe. Okay. But if it's something that you're doing regularly, that changes, that changes the whole game from staying safe to becoming potentially unsafe. I can't say that in my study, I have found uh, a correlation to um, 
drinking this drink. And so now therefore you're unsafe. That's not what I have found. I have not found that yet. I really haven't. But at the same time, I have found that it, it decreases your sleep quality. It decreases your sleep quantity, your, your stress levels. You can have an increased perception of stress that can be a problem. And then I've also found too, that um, people who drink energy drinks, they feel like they don't have as much joy or as much, they're not able to enjoy things as much, or they feel more stressed when they're driving home. They can be more tired. Those Mm -hmm. kinds of things. That's, those are safety issues. So if I'm speaking to students as things I say to my own students, then I say, just be thoughtful about what you're, what you're consuming. If you don't need it, don't drink it. Drink water, (laughs) (laughs) drink water if you can. And you know, but if you need it, it's there for you. So. Yeah. I think it's a really good nuanced opinion. And I feel like sometimes in maybe LDS church culture, we don't always make space for those types of nuances where maybe there is a time and a place where Mm -hmm. it might be appropriate to um, consume some form of energy drink when you really need it. When are like the safe times to, to, to do those types of things? Like when would you suggest from your research that, you know, this would be an appropriate time to, to consume an energy drink without it maybe messing up sleep schedules and things like Mm -hmm. that. I think if it's every once in a while, then Mm -hmm. it really is probably okay. Um, Let's say that you, like I said, if you're driving somewhere and it's going to be a long drive and you need to stay awake, you're having a hard time staying awake. That might be a time. You have to be careful though. If you are not somebody who consumes caffeine and you all of a sudden drink quite a bit. So those little no-dose pills, sometimes people um, take no-dose or Mm -hmm. there's 200 milligrams of caffeine in no-dose. So if you were to take one of those tablets and then maybe drink a bang or something that's 500 milligrams of caffeine. So a regular Coke has about 35 milligrams of caffeine, but I think being aware of how much caffeine of what the content is, I don't think we really even know it does affect your sleep. Um, just even migraine, uh, medicine, I'm trying, Excedrin, it has 60 milligrams of caffeine per tablet. Uh, so just being mindful of those things, I think is helpful. I, I don't know if you're, there's a time and a place. I think that's very individual and you mm-hmm. can determine that, but just being smart about your consumption. I know I have a lot of students who use a pre-workout. Mm. Uh, that's about three, between two and 300 milligrams, depending on what you choose. So if you, if you do that and then drink one energy drink a day, I mean, depending on the size, you're consuming four to 500 milligrams of caffeine that day. Is that a lot? It's or a like, lot. What's so the most, so context? most Americans, so take the church out of it, but most mm-hmm. Americans consume between 100 and 300 milligrams per day oh. as members of the church. It's usually quite a bit less than that. Mm-hmm. So things to notice if you're drinking a lot of caffeine, there's palpitations. Sometimes you'll have increased panic attacks or anxiety. Not only does it affect your sleep, but it can affect, they found that there's an, as, as people, as people increase their consumption of energy drinks, their grade point average decreases. So that there's an inverse relationship. Wow. There's also um, more, they're more likely to increase in risk-taking behaviors. So they've found a correlation between substance abuse. People who drink energy drinks have problems with substance abuse, not wearing a seatbelt, unsafe sex, um, being willing to cheat, things like that. Wow. That's so surprising. I well, but if you that. think about too, if you think about where do you see advertisements for Red Bull? Or rock star uh, or monster, kind of a similar, NASCAR, yeah. you know, <laughs> motocross, mm-hmm. things like that. And so the risk taking yes. crowd a little bit is kind of, yes. um, it's pretty well tied to the energy, energy, the energy drink industry a little bit. Yeah. Pretty interesting. Yeah. That's fascinating. A lot of our students haven't had opportunities to maybe experience um, 
experience the culture of the nursing program at UVU, and it is different from what BYU's nursing uh, nursing program is. I think that BYU is just different in lots of in lots of ways, just being a religious, privately owned religious institution. But what are some of the key differences and maybe cultural um, varieties that exist between the College of Nursing and uh, the UVU's nursing program? Potentially, maybe our nurses want to go to the master's program, what type of mm-hmm. changes should they be expecting? Honestly, it's a wonderful environment over there. Uh, I was surprised just because as, as a BYU graduate, I loved my experience at BYU. I had such a positive experience. I loved that the gospel was very much a part of my education every single day. That's one thing that is different at UVU, but I will say my opportunity at UVU as an instructor there now, as a professor at UVU, I will say I have the blessing and opportunity to be very creative about how I share my testimony. Mm. Um, The experiences are the same. Sorry, I'm a little bit emotional. But uh, when I teach about life and when I teach about death, there's opportunities for me to share my testimony. I will say that my students are not all members of the church. There's a good number of them that are. A lot of them are not or are at different stages in their faith. But it is a wonderful opportunity for me to share my testimony. I can't be blatant. <laughs> I can't be blatant. But I will say that all my all my students know that I have a son on a mission. All my students know that I pray. All my students know that I have faith and that I am a member of the church and very much respect that. UVU is a wonderful place. I love the dynamic. I will say that it's a place where um, where people feel safe to be in the different, different stages of their life. There's a lot of people my age <laughs> that are in the nursing program. You know, I'm a mom of six and there's, there's moms. I, I had a student who was a mom of 11. There's a lot of men who come and they are choosing a different vocation. They are done with whatever they've done before. People who've been police officers, people who I've had a guy who used to lay tile and he wanted something to be more stable for his family. So he came back in his going to nursing school. That's great. It's been awesome. It's a great place to be. UV was awesome. That's fantastic. That's such a, that's definitely different than I think the culture that the college of nursing has here at BYU, but I don't think that's necessarily a good or a bad thing. It's no, just, different. just different and it serves different populations. And I think that's, that's really beneficial. One of the things you mentioned, I think is, is super important and really applicable to even the BYU nursing students that might be listening. Um, you mentioned how you've had to get creative and the way that you share your testimony. And as our nursing students are graduating and going into the, I guess you could say, more real version of the world, where they can't be quite as blatant and upfront about their religious beliefs, but maybe still want to share, you know, like the light of Christ and things like that. What are some ways that you've been able to become more creative in sharing your testimony? Oh, I love that question too. Um, I can think of lots of times being in the ICU or even in the emergency room where I had the opportunity to hold a hand or whether it's the patient or whether the patient's family member. And they would ask me what's happening. Why is this happening? Where are they going? What's going to happen? And I could quietly share my testimony. I know that everything's going to be okay. I know there's a God in heaven who loves your husband right now. And he's taking care of him. And I know for a fact that you'll see him again. And I know for a fact that you'll be together and be just having the opportunity to tell them, go ahead and whisper, 
Whisper how much you love them. Whisper, I know he can hear you. I know. Just having those opportunities to share my testimony of the gospel and of the Savior and of a loving Heavenly Father. And people are very open and receptive when they are so vulnerable, when they're in so much pain, whether they're the patient or whether they're the family. They are both in such need of love and kindness and and just an explanation of hope. And it's been a beautiful experience. Uh, Every minute that I had at the bedside of 24 years, I value and I cherish because of the opportunities I had to share my testimony. And it's there. It's in healthcare. It's everywhere. Yeah. Wow, that's really powerful stuff. And I mean, even just hearing you explain some of those experiences that you've had, it kind of gave me chills as well. That's, That's real cool. Well, Megan, thank you so much for coming on our podcast today and sharing not only your great perspectives and obvious insights that you have with um, with caffeine and, and energy drinks and that type of really pertinent and important topic that's always evolving, but also uh, your testimony and belief um, uh, in the church and how that can relate to the nursing profession. That was really special. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for having me. Wow, that was a really insightful interview. I like how she um, demonstrated that there's a difference between regular caffeine consumption that comes from coffee and energy drink consumption. Yeah, I think that's something that's super relevant to LDS culture as well is this um, idea that you know people can just drink whatever they want now, right? Mm-hmm. We're following the word of wisdom technically, but maybe there, are, there still are some harmful things that we should still be avoiding or at least be more cognizant and aware of about how we're consuming them. Um, to keep ourselves and others safe. I also really appreciated that she mentioned how this specifically relates to nursing professionals. And it seems like there's maybe some uh, future studies coming where maybe it'll be found that excessive consumption of these types of uh, substances might actually harm patient outcomes. Yeah. um, And nursing students, I think, in particular, are, you know, a group that can be targeted by these kinds of drinks because, I mean, they need to stay awake for a long long hours. But also, Nursing students are really educated and they might feel like they have a proficient understanding of the ingredients in these drinks. But as Mike talked about, um, sometimes there's hidden ingredients and caffeine that's hidden in these ingredients that um, aren't obvious. And so our nursing students should be aware of that. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how the nursing community and especially the nursing students respond to this new types of information and studies that are being released. And speaking of responding, we sent Donovan on the street to ask our nursing students how they implement Tanner's clinical judgment model and respond as nurses. I'm here with Clara. How are you doing today? I'm doing pretty fabulous. Awesome. Good to hear. So I'm sure you know that the College of Nursing has adopted Tanner's clinical judgment model to help students respond more appropriately during your clinicals. So in terms of reflecting, how do you think like a nurse now? I like to practice self-care and stress management techniques to reflect on how um, I'm doing as a person and if I need to um, recuperate a little bit before getting back into nursing, I make sure that I make sure that I get food, I make sure that I take a shower, the basic things, right? Yeah. Or even just taking a little bit of time to socialize with friends. I've realized is really important if I want to be the, my best when I'm a nurse. Nice. That's awesome. And I agree that's super important. So thank you. We're also here with Easton. How are you doing? I'm doing good. How are you? (laughs) Doing good, man. So in terms of reflecting, how do you think like a nurse? 
I reflect on the impact that I have on my patients and the interventions and way that I care for them by realizing that so much of my care is, is more than just about the task that needs to be done, but about the person. So being able to reflect helps me to see past those tasks and more about the person and their needs. Nice. That's super important, man. Thank you. Yeah. We're here with Rihanna. How are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing awesome. So same question to you. In terms of reflecting, how do you think like a nurse now? So I like to reflect at the end of my shift about the care that I gave. And I think that really stood out to me a lot, especially during my time on ICU, since I feel like I work with a lot of patients who are either going to go home to their families in a couple of weeks, or I may have spent, you know, some of their last moments with them. And that really is a huge, huge deal. And so I've reflected a lot on the quality of care and um, the experiences that they have because they are so important to me and their individual care is the top of my priorities. Nice. That's super tender. Thank you very much. Finally, we're here with Daria. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you. Awesome. So the same question. In terms of reflecting, how do you think like a nurse now? So reflecting back on my experiences this semester, I usually pray for inspiration as I care for my patients each and every time I have a clinical shift. And I know recently this semester during my psych clinical, it was particularly poignant because as I was caring for these patients, I noticed that I was given this Christ-like compassion that I didn't think I was capable of. And I was able to provide compassionate and empathetic care to these patients because of that. And I feel I was re really able to gain their trust and help them reach the potential and recovery that they are seeking. Nice. That's super awesome. Thank you. Well, guys, that brings our four-part segment about Tanner's clinical judgment model to an end. We want to encourage you guys to continue to interpret, notice, reflect, and respond in your clinicals throughout your rest of the time here at the College of Nursing, and eventually as you continue to move forward to make the world a better place. Well, and with that, that wraps up this week's episode. Thank you guys so much for listening. Don't forget to find us anywhere you get your podcasts. We'll see you next week. Bye.